Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and ask them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer engineer. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college and the originator and host of Tops 10. Today I have with me a first time two guests. First, Mr. Kenny Kettner, who works at the Texas Tech University Libraries as their software development manager. And he is outgoing Lubbock County Democratic Party chair. You're a graduate of Lubbock High School, and you went to the University of Chicago. That's one of them. their universities up in the north, right? Yeah, I'm afraid so, but uh, <laughs> please don't hold that against me. It's a Yankee university. Settle down. It's, it's in the Yankee class. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so you became active in Lubbock Democratic politics, and we have to ask how that happens. You know, Certainly. You, you met the other Democrat. And yeah, it, took, well, it actually took me a year to find the Democrats. That's so an interesting story. You were a precinct chair, a volunteer on the Charlie Charlie Stenholm campaign. You became secretary of the party, and then you ran for county chair. And you've done a lot of other things, and we're going to find that out as as we talk. And then my other guest is Mr. Carl H. Tepper, who's outgoing chair of the Lubbock County Republican Party. Is there a Lubbock County, like... Libertarian or Socialist Party? There is actually a Libertarian Party. and um, used to be a Green Party, too. Mm-hmm. They, they, <clears throat> they've been active on and off. Mr. Tepper is a commercial real estate professional for the McDougal Commercial Division. He owns, leases, and manages real estate for third parties himself. Carl grew up on Long Island, and that's Long that's Island, Yankee Texas. That is, that is Yankee. That's the ultimate Yankee country. <laughs> yes, that was Long Island, New York. That's correct. Long Island, New York. But you came here at age... I came here uh, after living in England a couple of years in the Air Force. I think I oh, was yeah. uh, about 21. And after high school, you joined the Air Force. Sergeant Te- Tepper was a military aviator, C-130 flight engineer with the 50th Tactical Airlift Squadron, the Red Devils. During his military career, he lived in England, Arkansas, Texas. There's, there's a stretch of different uh, places to go. And the United Arab Emirates and flew missions throughout the world, culminating in service in the Persian Gulf War. And you are outgoing Republican chair. Now, I, I was just talking to Mr. Kettner before we started. Uh, outgoing means you can do anything you want now, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can we can say anything we want. The temptation is there, isn't it? The trouble with the two of us has been we say whatever we've wanted through our careers anyway. <laughs> so uh, it's gotten us in trouble and it's gotten us praise on and off through our careers as in politics. And that was Carl. And Kenny, I do have to start at the beginning here. I've lived in a number of different places in my life, including places which were very strongly <laughs> Democrat, because a lot of times I've lived in where the university was. And, and it tends to be like I was at KU, for example, in Lawrence, Kansas, was this tiny little blue dot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, there was a map, you know, oh, I think the Obama 2008, where, where literally every single county in Kansas voted against Obama, except for, except for, for Lawrence. Lawrence. So yeah, one of my I've usually lived in places where it's flipped of here. But we are, it's fair to say, in a Republican stronghold in West Texas. Is that correct? Yeah, my my friend and morning show co-host Wade Wilkes over at AM five eighty. He likes to joke that it would my job here as Democratic chair in Lubbock would be like him being Republican chair in San Francisco uh, or something like that. Is there one? I, <laughs> uh, probably, probably so. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, you stand up for what you believe in, and even if the circumstances are are difficult, uh, it's important to do that. I'm, I consider myself a Dean Democrat. That is Howard Dean. Uh, and he says, you know, if you vote... You oh, get- I thought you meant me, Dean. Yeah. 
Oh, well, I was really flattered there. Well, but, okay. That's, I, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you're probably a good dean then if that flatters you. <laughs> but uh, if it's uh, if you vote, you get a D in terms of your participation in democracy. If you also donate, you get a C. If you also volunteer for your candidate, you get a B. And if you run for office, you get an A in democracy. So uh, I I think it's important to uh, stand up for what you believe in. Great. Carl, how did you first get involved in politics? You know, I've been involved since I was in high school. I remember the uh, Ronald Reagan. I'm a little older than Kenny. I remember Ronald Reagan and the Jimmy Carter race. And uh, fell into the Reagan camp immediately. And then through high school, I was active. I actually interned for a congressman who was a Democrat, actually, but Congressman mm-hmm. Bob Mrazek in the third district of New York, I believe, and just was enamorated with politics since I was a kid. I remember my father always uh, always watched the news, uh, always talked about it. I think my first political memory was Richard Nixon resigning in the Oval Office. So I've always been very, uh, very active. I lived in England under Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. And um, the double of course, whammy. Yeah. Of course, those were legends in the conservative world and very influential in the world when uh, you know, the Soviets were breathing down our necks, and uh, we had trouble with Iranian hostages starting out those terms. And we had double-digit inflation, stagflation, high unemployment. Uh, so it was interesting to see um, how those leaders uh, handled those issues in those days and then going on into the 90s and then, of course, the Bill Clinton race. And, and that I was v- vice president of the Texas Tech College Republicans, was a young Republican. My wife and I met that way at a party. Uh, with Republicans in Austin and and uh, had just always been involved and it's just always been a part of me. I like to say to my students, and I teach political communication, so this is fascinating to me, but you always have some memory of like your political consciousness. And it's interesting right. that for me, it was the Iran hostage crisis uh, and then the election of 1980, where I, I think I got a first sense like, oh, it, it actually matters who's president. It matters what our policies are. And both my parents were, were educated people. They were they were professors, and we we some of our younger readers may not know what I'm talking about. And you could look up in Wikipedia. We subscribed to a newspaper. Uh, in fact, my father passed away a couple of years ago, and I talk about that's when the news industry started going south. Is because my father passed away. He subscribed to five newspapers no and kidding. three magazines, including one called Newsweek, another one called Time Magazine. Again, our younger listeners may have to look that up, but. Uh, so we were like really well informed, but I guess I was just like a typical kid. I was really interested in what was local, but it was the Iranian hostage crisis mm-hmm. that got my attention that politics matter. See, for me, it was uh, Bush Gore 2000. That happened right in my when I was in college, and we watched those debates, and we were just stunned when, you know, the next day the media would talk about how good Bush did and how bad Gore did. You know, we just couldn't believe it. And then the whole controversy over the election in Florida in 2000 and hanging chads and all that stuff, that kind of woke me up that, like you said, it does matter. And I like to think about those years, 2000 through 2008, uh, what would have been different with a President Gore instead of a President Bush. And I think certainly we wouldn't be in a decade-long war in the Middle East, hopefully. But we would be in an ice age, don't you think? Or, oh, no, who no. knows? <laughs> I, you know, I want to ask you a question. I, I was looking – because we have a, sh- a show with two people, I asked you for your top five songs or your – this, and I, I, the, top, the top songs that, that mean the most to you. And we live in a country where we see, we see in polling that we really are very divided. Now, I've always told my students that don't believe that we're necessarily more divided than e- any time in history. I think you can point a lot of times in American history, say, you know, say 1860, where people were much more divided uh, politically than than today. But we talk about whether Republicans and Democrats have different outlooks on life, 
different philosophies, but also different tastes or not. And I was looking at your two sets of music, and I'm just going to go to number one for both of you. Carl, Carl, our Republican chairman, Fire and Rains by James Taylor. I would not say, boy, that's a stereotypical, Repu- if that's not Trace, Ad- that's not right. Trace Adkins, that's not, <laughs> that's not what I'd say is a typical, you know, Republican song, right? And then I'm picking on you, Kenny, your top song, or just the first one you listed was Koji Kondo, Super <laughs> Mario Brothers theme. Everybody likes Super Mario Brothers. Come on now. Well, that's a known <laughs> left-wing song. No, I'm just there... <laughs> <laughs> so. So, do you, are your politics and your music in any way intertwined? Of course, they're intertwined, but it just depends. They're intertwined in our lives sometimes, and and you know they are political, but they also transcend politics in so many levels. Where it's a it's a view into your soul and and the loves and the hates and. And so many things that are just beyond politics that so it was very difficult putting together this list, you know, especially oh, I when I yeah. when I knew I was going to be doing it with Kenny, because your favorite song kind of depends also on the time of your life, the seasons of your life, the Christmas season. It just sort of depends on what genre we're talking about. So it was very difficult to put up five songs. And of course, I was thinking, well, I'm doing this with Kenny. Do I have to put the, you know, stereotypical Republican? <laughs> uh, do I need to have Ted Nugent in there, you know, yeah, or something I, like I that? And I decided, no, I wanted to really do my top five songs that I like to listen to. And so that's that's the direction I took. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans we made put an end to you. Walked out on the morning And I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again And Kenny, I got to ask you now, you you are a computer programmer, you're a computer guy, so maybe this made sense for (laughs) Super Mario Brothers. Well, I I grew up playing video games, and that's probably the most representative song everyone recognizes that Super Mario Brothers theme. Uh, And it has actually played an important part in my life. My uh, groomsmen and I walked down the aisle to at my marriage to that song in fact so were you jumping over barrels to uh, there get were to your there might bride? have been a few barrels and uh, brick walls in the and way. was she held by a giant gorilla uh, the princess was in the castle yeah. though I'm happy to report it's a metaphor for obstacles like Kenny, that's right Kenny had a lot of obstacles to find a date so. and uh, that's, that's you don't know how true that is but the song itself is musically very interesting because it the way it loops back on itself makes you want to keep playing the game of course uh, and that's uh, probably one of the best composed pieces of music for any video game which I think they're now the dominant form of media.
Now, Carl, I, I do have a Republican song up for number two <laughs> here. I've heard this before, actually. I think we've played this twice before on, on this show. Amarillo by Morning by George Strait. It's just the greatest country music song classic. ever written. Yeah, uh, I had to mix in some country into that, into that list. And uh, George Strait... Amarillo by morning about the uh, cowboy. He's kind of has a mediocre life to poor life, but um, he pushes on and it's, um, oh boy, I hate to use the cliched words like metaphors and things, but it is a metaphor for life in Texas. And, and uh, I'm a horseman. It's the horse, the horse crowd that you hang around. And then you've got the cowboy crowd who are always struggling, but yet they love that sort of lifestyle. They want to hang on to that life of the cowboy, the last living legend of America. And um, I just think it's a fantastic song. Amarillo by morning Up from San Antonio Everything that I got Is just what I've got on When that sun is high in that Texas sky I'll be bucking at the county fair Amarillo by morning Amarillo, I'll be there They took my saddle in Houston Broke my leg in Santa Fe Lost my wife and a girlfriend Somewhere along the way I'll be looking for eight when they pull that in And I hope that judge ain't blind Amarillo by morning Amarillo's on my mind Amarillo by morning Up from San Antonio I want to sort of pivot now to talking about from music to politics and what gets old in politics. If you were having a conversation with somebody who's going to be running for office, whether Republican or Democrat, and you have uh, my friends who are political consultants say when one of the initial conversations, besides, is there anything going to come out in the campaign that's going to sink you? Please tell me now. Uh, I honestly wish people wouldn't worry about that so much. I think a lot of good people decide not to run for office because they're afraid of scrutiny of the public eye and media all that stuff and you know everyone's got their problems but if, if you can articulate a, a message and and be a good leader then why shouldn't you run for office you know? well see that's very interesting because I think that that is a, a youther perspective mm. that is, is I mean I'm old enough to remember what was a gentleman who who his Supreme Court nomination was torpedoed because he admitted that he smoked marijuana once you know, which would not 
sink anybody for almost any office. Yeah, now, even uh, Howard Dean's infamous yeah. scream, I don't think would uh, would affect him if he were running today, even you know a decade later. I would like to know what you think are ideas that you would tell people. You know what? That just just there's, there's nothing to run on anymore. You know, I've been saying way. this a lot lately. I'm probably getting getting in trouble for it, but I don't trust a candidate who doesn't have some kind of blemish on their record. Nobody's perfect. If they don't swear, if they don't have some kind of a vice, if they don't uh, have a beer or smoke a cigar or a cigarette. Um, I, I had a conversation. Abducted by aliens. I had a conversation <laughs> with a gentleman the other day who decided he doesn't want to run. He had a uh, DWI, was arrested. It was expunged from his record. He was not convicted of it. And I don't condone that. And we don't. But, you know, all of us seem to have something in our background that's yeah. going to make us a little less attractive to the public. And frankly, if I don't see some kind of blemish on your record, that probably means something much deeper and darker is going on in your life that we <laughs> don't know And I do about, think as this so. younger generation of voters moves up through the generational stages, you're going to see much more acceptance. Yeah. Because, of course, they, they have everything open. Uh, I was very lucky to go to college at a time, not where we were more virtuous, but, but where there was no smartphones, you know, there was yeah. no internet. Uh, I, I was at the University of Iowa before I came here, and the publisher was telling me how Iowa uh, student newspaper goes back to 1870 or something like that, and they had just digitized and made searchable their entire run. And he was starting to get calls from people saying, uh, I was arrested as naked and disorderly in 1973. Can, Can I pay you to take? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I honestly <laughs> think the the 18 to 25 year old voter is going to go like, okay, so I mean, yeah. wh why should yeah, I care the, about the this? president of the United States 20 years from now is right now tweeting something inappropriate, you know, <laughs> and it's not going to matter. I think there's gradations, you know, if, if they tweeted something, you know, pro ISIS. <laughs> Oh, well, that's, Maybe it would, or yeah, if they tweeted something the news cycle absolutely hateful of a particular minority group, I think probably would it would be problematic, and and it still is for employment. First, Prince, first you know, Prince was it Prince uh, Henry? What is the second Prince in the um, in the line of England? I think it was um, it's Henry, isn't it? He wore a Nazi costume to a Halloween ball or something, and. Um, it's distasteful, but you know you can recover from that. It was one of the useful, youthful indiscretions that uh, hopefully he's, he's embarrassed about. You, know, you don't, you don't vote for princes, on. so you'll be all right. But you know, you know what I'm saying. That's yeah. something that you did when you're, you know, between your 18 and your 25 year old or 30 year old. I think we can we can overlook within reason. So, and and the shelf life of the uh, the news cycle so fast. The shelf life of politicians is so quick. I think we're seeing this with the um, some of the candidates and the Republican, possibly even the Democratic side, where Donald Trump has to come up with something new to say every four or five days now mm -hmm. that's interesting, maybe shocking to some people, and, and maybe some people agree. And uh, these candidates cannot seem to remain competitive without having something new and, and, and earth-shattering um, every right. five days. Got to keep the spotlight right. I, on I, you. We, we we used to teach that there was something called a news cycle where you'd have time not only to react to an event, you know, right. where you'd get your committee together, your cabinet or something. How are we going to react to this? Now the news cycle is about 15 minutes. Yeah, you better uh, have tweeted something out already. That's right. And and responding to a crisis, you know, by the time you've called the crisis communication consultant, it's too late. Yeah. Uh, you have to have it in place. So. Going back to uh, the question of young people in politics, in my day, my first job in politics was also my last job in politics I, because I decided to go the academic route. But I worked in the Philadelphia office very briefly of Senator John Hines. 
-hmm. unfortunately deceased, uh, tra tragically <coughs> died in, the, in a plane crash, probably would have been president. You know, I think it was a good chance he would have been president. He certainly had the, the charisma and the intelligence and, and the, the, the funding. And, and my job was to open the mail. Now, this was 80s, so nobody really thought about what could come in the mail. Now that's like, you know, you need an FBI yeah, task force to, it, yeah. to, to do that. But I, 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 had, to, I had to stuff an envelope and, and uh, lick a stamp and just like some kind of animal the other day. It was really amazing. Envelopes? Envelopes and a stamp. It, I, I felt like I belonged to a zoo. Would you come to a, a seminar for our students on what those are and, and how, <laughs> how they can be used? I saw a typewriter <laughs> in someone's office the other day. I don't know what it was doing there. but So, Kenny... Your next song is Bad Religion. Now, is that a Democrat song? No, that's, a, that's uh, my favorite band is, is Bad Religion, going back uh, to my junior high, high school days. Uh, and I picked a song, The Answer. Uh, I had a friend in high school tell me that's, that's probably the most Kenny song I've ever heard. You know, there's a, there's a lyric that says, uh, don't tell me about the answer, I've got ideas too. And I've, I've kind of taken that to heart. And, you know, it's peer pressure, group think, whatever you want to call it can be can be a real burden sometimes and if you you know if you believe in your heart that what you're doing is right then you need to press on yeah and, and i think that's a challenge for both parties right because young sure. people are coming up and you want them to get involved you want them to get interest interested in politics and the, but you don't want you also want them to think to like contribute yeah and, and people don't realize that parties are themselves little d democratic organizations you know they're built from the bottom up it's a great tradition to fight the man and it seems that who who's ever president the youth seem to migrate to the other side for a while so barack obama's been president eight years i'm starting to see an uptick in some youth involvement and then i'm sure when after george w bush was president for eight years. Kenny had seen a huge uptick in young people for Barack Obama. Something fresh, new, uh, interesting, and someone who connects with them. So I think, uh, and and youth wins elections. I have no doubt. The the seniors tend to vote and vote in high numbers. Middle class homeowners to seniors vote in high numbers, but the youth and energy add something to a campaign. Yeah, there was a, a Houston mayor's race just recently that was a very close election, and the candidate that won, uh, Sylvester Turner, a Democrat, he, he thanked uh, the youth vote specifically for, for supporting him, and I think that made the difference in the election. Long ago in a dusty village full of hunger, pain, and strife a man came forth with a vision of truth and the way to a better life. He was convinced he had the answer and he compelled people to follow along. But the hunger never vanished and the man was banished and the village right up at night. At a time when wise men peered through glass tubes towards the sky. The heavens changed in predictable ways And one man was able to find That he had thought he'd found the answer And he was quick to write his revelation But as they were scrutinized in his colleagues' eyes He soon became a mockery Don't tell me about the answer Cause then another one will come along soon I don't believe you have the answer I've got ideas too But if you got enough naivety And you got conviction Then the answer is perfect for you
if you were talking to a young person that called you up and said, you know, I, I'd like to get involved, this particular generation, we've been talking on this campus a lot this semester, that these 18-year-olds are different. This is the first generation that's been raised on social media completely. I mean, texting is their normal mode of conversation. I have talked to our students a lot about how our alumni or the employers say, hey, please, please be able to hold a physical conversation, be able to call somebody on the phone, be able to have lunch <laughs> and with a client and discuss their needs and listen to them, which are skills that you're not learning today with the world of social media and Is texting. that right? Yeah. I, I think that's really true. Uh, well, we're it's also true in politics, too, yeah. Face-to-face is what wins elections. Is there a particular challenge to getting today's 18-year-olds involved in politics through either new ways or traditional ways? I'm finding participation in something like the college Republicans at Texas Tech very strong. But we are having great difficulty in high schoolers. And I think that's something, you might disagree, I think that's something that just hasn't changed. And I've yeah, always and got... One, the schools resisted that sort of thing more now, too, I think. They're, they're resisting um, having a high school Republicans uh, because they feel like, well, then I have to have a high school Democrat or vice, <laughs> vice, yeah. vice versa, uh, depending on where you live, I'm sure. So I'm finding it interesting that the schools are so averse um, to any kind of... Uh, what what do you call it? Um, bipartisanship. Sure. And so uh, I find that interesting. I think it's sad. Too, well, and our, like Carl said, our, our Tech Student Democrats chapter is one of our most active groups locally, um, along with Texas Democratic Women, uh, Town on Democrats, and so forth. But uh, yeah, getting getting people involved outside of that kind of very structured organization is challenging. And and you know it's nice to you know retweet something or share a Facebook meme, but uh, it's not as politically meaningful as talking to an undecided voter face to face and telling them why you support the candidate that you support. You know, right? I, I wrote a book about the 2008 election, which was the first election where social media really played a strong role. And I, I started mm-hmm. actually with with Howard Dean campaign and sort of led up to Obama's victory as sort of 1.0 and 2.0. And what was interesting in the Dean campaign is, you know, if we recall this ancient history, Howard Dean was ahead, I mean, in polling anyway, in, right. in, in name recognition going into the uh, Iowa caucus. And I was there in Iowa you know, doing studies and interviewing people. And then he didn't actually win. And so there was a discussion about that you can't just rely on the internet. You can't just rely on social media. The the old and the new of politics, the the, the, the knocking on doors, the calling, the getting out the vote, the placards still have to be done very well. And what Obama campaign figured out is how we can do the new stuff in sync with the old stuff. Right. Yeah. And then the other the other lesson from two thousand four, which was interesting, is you remember I think it was one of the uh, uh, Zephyr Teachout, one of the early active internet activists for Howard Dean, made this comment about it would be like dating the candidate, social media with the candidate. Mm-hmm. And the problem was, I don't want to date eight hundred thousand people. I'm happily married now. I don't want to be married to eight hundred thousand people. I just want to be married to one person. And so that was a lot to promise this early social media crowd that was through blogging that you were going to have this personal relationship with a candidate. Right. And and one of the things I logged for my book was on how many times people posted on the Howard Dean website and blogs, 
hey, you know, Howard, I, I've got some advice for you, and no one replied. And so people were getting frustrated and saying, hey, I'm posting here, I'm, sp- I'm, I'm trying to interact, and no one's interacting yeah, now, with me. Now that's very critical in politics. You're absolutely right to be responsive at that level. But one thing you can do is, is develop a sense of community where the, those people are uh, <coughs> helping each other and discussing with each other and, and sharing ideas and coming up with the best of them. Right. That was, pass on and, and I say Obama, but his team's innovation in 2008 was to say, look, I can't have, the candidate had, can't have a personal relationship with a million people. But, hey, people, you form your own community. Exactly. Lubberkers for Obama. And you interact with each other. We'll give you information. We'll have a town hall, things like that. But you get your encouragement and enthusiasm from your peer group rather than waiting from central administration. I don't think – sometimes I wonder if the public realizes there's there's the voting public and then there's the the activists, the party activists. And for Kenny and me, it's a lifestyle. Uh, Our whole circle of friends are political. Um, everything we do, everything we talk about, I don't understand. Well, he has Donkey Kong friends. Uh, he does have Donkey yeah. Kong friends. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go to um, parties for the church crowd, and I don't know what to do with myself. I'm absolutely in a corner because I can't make small talk. Unless you're talking about politics and religion, uh, I don't know. I don't understand what people talk see, that, about. See, that's I, where I, video games come in handy. I, can't, I guess it does. I, I can't talk <laughs> see, about... He can sp- talk to young people then. You've got to get into gaming. We should I'm trade sorry. We I, should uh, trade Christmas parties one year just for yeah. fun. Oh wow! That would that would be that would be. I if would, like, I would, if you'd like, I would, to visit I would our house, go. Carl, if you'd I like would. to visit our house, and my my daughters will teach you Minecraft. There you go. You know, just as a public service. What what is that? It's like Leg- I've heard of it. It's like I, Legos, the game, basically. Okay. Yeah. Except there's death and violence too, as as a, as a parent. Well, depend, depending on about. how you play. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so what? Do, so what do people? I I can talk about sports for about two minutes, and I'm an avid horseman, but I can only talk about it. For maybe five minutes and skiing five minutes and then cigars about two minutes. I'm done. I'm ready to go home. So. <laughs> Your next up for songs that we've got ABC from the Jackson <clears throat> yeah. Five by Mr. Tepper and where's the what's the, the connection? <laughs> you with know, that I, song? I I grew up with it and I, it, it's another song that just never gets old. You want to dance to it every time and well in my car. <laughs> yeah. I think it falls on the genre of bubble gum. Would would that be? Uh, yeah, Correct. it's yeah. a bubblegum pop, yeah. and it was. Um, but when you listen to it, it's amazingly well produced um, and sung, and it's hip hop. Um, it's funky, and it just it just is absolutely everything of the era of that I grew up in. As a matter of fact, I remember spinning it at my birthday party okay. in elementary school with our cupcakes, and to this day, I never get bored of listening to it.
Now, I've got a song here that I honestly, had, until I came to Lubbock, I, I'd heard of Buddy Holly and heard some of his more, you know, Peggy Sue type hits, <laughs> but I didn't know the full of or the full, you know, <laughs> song set. And so, Kenny, you listed here a song that I just had, had uh, uh, I mean, a tribute that I just never heard before, Weezer, Buddy Holly. Yeah, so the 90s uh, alternative rock holds a special place in my heart because of that whole generational lock thing you were talking about. And uh, I think uh, Buddy Holly by Weezer is not only a good tribute to the the style and influence of Buddy Holly, but also, you know, really typifies the 90s alternative rock sound. And I got to see Weezer live once, and it was an incredible show. You could set your watch to these guys. They're so talented and precise, you know. What's with these homies dissing my girl? What have they got up front? What did we ever do to these guys that made them so violent? But you know I'm yours, and I know you're mine. So let me ask you again about motivating young people to get involved in politics. Uh, <coughs> cynicism, I mean, I, I, I believe I was a cynical generation growing up 80s. Uh, some people say that our 18 to 22-year-olds today are an interesting mixture of extreme cynicism and extreme optimism. That is, they're, they like to help. Mm. You know, they're very likely to want to help out personally whether it's virtually or in person for a cause, they, they have a lot of good intentions. They're, they're good people. You know, if you, if you do surveys of like their ethics and things like that, maybe they're not very high on what might be called sort of traditional ethics, but they're, they're very high on personal integrity and things like that. They're very savvy. They're very adult. They're learning lessons, I think through media, for better or for worse as a Republican, but they're learning lessons that would take uh, probably me and you years to learn and years of life experience where they can learn a lot about politics, the better and the worse in, um, in a season of house of cards. Yeah. They're becoming empowered, uh, quicker as a result. Uh, and the people crave that personal connection, that personal sense of accomplishment that, that doing good things on a local small scale level brings you. And meanwhile, being mistrustful of institutions, systems and so forth. Um, that maybe have let them down in the past. So, 
So I think you're absolutely right. And what what advice would you give to a political candidate about how to address an audience? Because of this age group, because what I found is the political discourse in this country, and I used to have an assignment I haven't done in the last election cycle, where I'd have my undergraduate students watch the debates. It would be a sort of a trick assignment because I'd say, watch the debates, and I want you to identify issues that relate to youth. And, of course, they'd come back frustrated after a debate <laughs> and go like, what? You know, Centrum Silver? You know, mm-hmm. Depends uh, Adult Diaper? I mean, what 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 advertising or, like, anything on the debate? Nothing related to youth. So because we've had this tradition of, like, you know, aim for the senior voter or the middle, the middle voter and, and young voters can play some role but not a very decisive role, if I'm running for office, and we'll talk about some of the races that are going on right now in, in West Texas, and I, and I say, oh, you know, I'm going to give a talk at Texas Tech to the young Republicans at Texas Tech. What advice would you give about how you should talk about issues how, how, that would be different than if you were talking at the, you know, Senior Baptist Ladies Church Guild? You know, it, I, hate to, I hate to give you this answer. It depends. Uh, if I'm talking to the college Republicans, they're already bought into uh, a lot of the philosophy. But this generation is not as socially conservative. Uh, they're more fiscally conservative. They care about tax policy, their their college loans, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I've had some success with introducing the social side, how it relates to the fiscal side, uh, just to stir them up a little bit and, and create some conversation. Uh, if, if I had a one of these congressional candidates going, I wouldn't ask them to do that. I don't think they're savvy about the differences between the social and the fiscally conservative arguments and how they all might work together. Um, I would I would recommend that a congressional candidate talk about um, the student loans, the uh, fiscal policy, the the it looks like the Fed's going to raise interest rates, which is going to affect their loan rates. Uh, and I would talk about military policy, whereas a lot of their friends or they are in the ROTC and might be going off the war or not going off the war. So things like that, where you can connect with them, um, is where you're going to find I think most of the uh, most of the energy. No, I, I think it. And maybe it's asking the impossible for a politician, right? But be, you have to be honest. You know, people are getting much better, especially younger people, uh, at spotting dishonesty and and deception. And you just get you have to be true to yourself as a candidate. Um, and there's a way he's right. And there's a way to be honest and not be uh, confrontational. Yeah. And there's a way to bring about this is what I think. What do you think? And give them a chance to to relay to relay what they think in a way that's uh, okay for you to have your opinion. And it's okay for them to have their opinion. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And the other thing I would say is uh, make sure and connect what your philosophy is, what your issues are to their everyday lives. And Carl kind of mentioned some of the points like, you know, education funding or the cost of health care or, you know, what what uh, minimum wage is in the country, for example. So, you know, tie it to something that's real to them. And, and depending on the room, it's okay to ask them, what's on your mind? Now, there's always one or two who are going to kind of control the conversation. So you need to be careful of that and go ahead and get their question out of the way. But go ahead and recognize everyone else in the room who might have uh, really the silent majority who want to who are ready to speak up. Kenny, your next song is Daft Punk, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. Is that your model for the Democratic Party? Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a, a song that uh, has a lot of personal meaning for me, too. A friend uh, and I made music together in high school and put out a CD and everything and uh, computer music and stuff, but not very good. But uh, we, we're big fans of Daft Punk anyway, and uh, this album came out uh, 
right on uh, spring break uh, when we were at South Beach and had a great time. You so. play an instrument, Kenny? I play uh, piano and clarinet, yeah. Look at you. And banjo, but badly. But uh, <laughs> I can play a couple of the old family songs on the banjo at least. But yeah, no, I, I'm more into computer music and, and when it comes to my own music making. But uh, yeah, it's hard to beat Daft Punk. So if you were giving advice to the Democratic National Committee about how the Democratic Party can be faster, more nimble, Mm -hmm. what would be your advice? Uh, Well, number one would be to schedule their presidential debates at a time when people will actually watch them. But uh, no, it's about that uh, being responsive on uh, social media, being responsive uh, when your voters are talking about an important issue to them. So uh, it's just got to be faster in all aspects of communication. song number four is a very familiar one that we've heard before but never this version the dropkick murphy singing amazing grace um i have deep faith i try not to wear it on my sleeve too much but um i listen to a lot of praise music some gospel music and um but i like a little attitude too um i think jesus had some attitude so uh when i heard the dropkick murphys do that um it's it's a lot of my music is is connected to i'm a horseman and i'm on horseback a lot and so uh this is just one of those songs that's on permanent rotation on my on my horseback rides and um great I think choice it's just, i think yeah. it's a great i think it's a great song when you're at a gallop so i'm warning you uh everyone who knows me <laughs> everyone who knows me you're gonna be a little surprised it's it's pretty it's pretty hard um i mean there's nothing inappropriate about it but um, it's not your traditional Amazing Grace, but it is Amazing Grace. It starts with bagpipes, and um, but it's Amazing Grace with some attitude. I think they did a great job with it.
Carl, finishing up with you, number five, Scenes, a song I remember very, very well growing up with. In fact, I remember the girl who I first heard this song with in, in Philadelphia. Oh. Scenes from an Italian restaurant by Billy Joel. Yeah, I could have put the whole Billy Joel. You know, I'm from Long Island, and actually I'm from, he talks about the Village Green is actually a strip center very close to where I grew up. And so um, you can pretty much put the whole Billy Joel, what do they call discography, uh, on my list. And uh, But that particular song, I, I can sing along to, try to remember every line, and um, is a real good um, kind of layout of a description of uh, the way I grew up, kind of the the gang, you know, who hung around the corner drugstore, and um, it just brings back a lot of memories. And of course, the the song has kind of two parts. Uh, one is an old friend meeting meeting someone in an Italian restaurant and talking about the old days, and then he kind of jumps to the story and kind of jumps back a few years, Billy Joel, into a couple of particular friends and whatever happened to them. And of course, then he jumps back at the end of the song to the Italian restaurant, and it was good to see you. So um, I think Billy Joel's an amazing storyteller. Um, there's quite a few of those. Elton John, I think James Taylor is another one I, we've mentioned earlier. And so I really enjoy songs that have some depth, some storytelling for, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I connect with Billy Joel on many levels and many, and many many of his songs, I guess maybe because of where I grew up. It's a nostalgic song, but with a certain, I, I don't know if the word is cynical, but a certain that you can't go home again because it wasn't that great to begin right. with. And I want to ask this about the Republican Party, I guess, is that one of the accusations that you could make against the Republican Party is that it, it it has a nostalgic element of like we want to go back to something, and and that's irregardless of whether that that something is good or bad. But is that good politics to to say again to eighteen twenty two year olds we want to go back to something better? Yeah, they don't remember don't Ronald. Remember they don't was. remember Ronald Reagan. We 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 keep reaching back to Ronald Reagan, uh, and it's funny because sometimes uh, Limbaugh, one of the radio shows, will play one of his old speeches. I forgot how entertaining he was, and so what a master communicator he was but the younger generation is not going to sit there and listen to all those speeches and and uh, we're having a hard time connecting because he was a quintessential figure in the republican party now for i don't know 40 years or so so uh we aren't going to need to find you're, you're exactly right we're going to fi- have to find something new and fresh something to motivate young people maybe the freedom the liberty i think that we offer but um we can't go back to nostalgia of eisenhower and reagan it's not gonna it's not going to uh, connect with the younger generation anymore a bottle of whites, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rose instead. Get a table near the street in our old familiar place, you and I face to face. Mm-hmm. A bottle of red. Bottle of whites. It all depends upon your appetite. I'll meet you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant.
I got a new wife, got a new life, and the family is fine. Oh, lost touch long ago. You lost weight, I did not know. You remember I looked so nice after so much time. You remember those days hanging out at the village green. The engineer boots, leather jackets, and tight blue jeans. Kenny, is there a nostalgic element in the Democratic Party that you well, can see? Or? Yeah, I think uh, FDR is uh, America's greatest president. You brought him up earlier in the show, and you know all the uh, the New Deal programs and uh, so forth, uh, hauling us out of the Great Depression uh, and you know leading us on a path to victory in World War II. So there's definitely uh, you know nostalgia and callbacks. But you is know, Kennedy a nostalgia for your for your group? I I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think it it helps more if you were uh, alive during the Kennedy years. Uh, but uh, LBJ as well. You know the civil rights legislation, voting rights. Does it rights. work though? I mean, does it work to say to an 18 year old, "Hey, there was this really great time in the past, and if you vote for us, we can return to that time." Does that well, never work as a slogan? well? I mean, we're more of a progressive. Uh, movement these days within the Democratic Party, and it's about the future, and it's about uh, what we can do to address major structural problems that we have in America. Uh, and that's why you see this interesting uh, dynamic uh, playing out in our presidential debates with Hillary and Bernie, uh, and how best to go about those big problems like Wall Street out of control, you know, uh, how, do, how do we raise the minimum wage, how do we pay for education, that sort well, of thing. Well, let's talk about unions, because I, 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 I would have to say that is an element of nostalgia in the Democratic Party, is that, that, that we need to go back, or, or however you want to put it, strengthen unions. We do need to strengthen unions, and, and it's, it's uh, difficult because unions have been beat up so much in American politics. I think they're now maybe 10% labor participation in unions, where it, it used to be well, you know, upwards of 30, 40 percent, but um, that's, that's a struggle right now because uh, so many uh, professions just are not unionized and you have to start over and build it from scratch. Uh, and that type of organizing is very difficult, very labor-intensive, um, you know, very one-on-one and relationship the building. the 18-year-old that's not a joiner of an organization to begin with, it's harder to make the pitch, like, you should be in solidarity with an organization and hold its goals and... Yeah. What, what you well, and, the and those, of a union. <clears throat> for that kind of structure, I don't. I don't think the concept of solidarity is hard to pitch to uh, today's youth. I think they they sort of instinctively understand solidarity. Actually, well, there's no manufacturing in America anymore. The the, the Democrats have managed to get it all exported. I'm going to give them. No, a little, I don't know how nudge. you can put that on so, us, Carl. But okay. <laughs> so so the, the unions were heavily into manufacturing, and the manufacturing. I think we we don't have to argue about this. Is really. Um, you know, been devastated in America. There's not a lot of it anymore. So we just don't want to wreck the planet or exploit workers along the way. They'll just wreck it in China. So they have um, needed to reach out to new potential uh, workers who are, and I grew up in a union household, by the way. So uh, they've had to reach out to a new group of style of, um, of labor for the union. So that's why they've identified uh, you know, fast food workers, mm-hmm. um, all the service type of workers, whether it be maid service in Las Vegas or that sort of thing. And and uh, I think they're going to have some progress there if they keep it up. But 
Um, again, it's always the, you know, be careful. Um, you know, these guys still have to make a profit or they will export their jobs or just close it down as, as a Walmart will do at this point in time. So um, just spend, spend over backwards for them. It, That's what you got to do. It's a tough challenge for the Democrats right now in the unions. And yeah, there's definitely a nostalgia for it. But um, I think I think the unions are and tell me if I'm wrong, Kenny, you might. But but honestly, it, it seems that even the Democratic Party is looking at unions um, maybe a little bit as an anachronism. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of respect for union organizing. Uh, I'm a union member myself, uh, albeit a new one. And uh, What union is that? Uh, Texas State Employees Union. So right. It's not the Donkey Kong Guild. No, no uh, okay. that's uh, separate. I'm president of the Donkey Kong Guild now. Settle down. It's uh, a <laughs> see <laughs> that you can motivate le- youth to yeah the Halo the Halo Guild. <laughs> Halo, that's a, Halo Union sounds promising. That's right. Your last song, Kenny, is the churches singing "Recover." Yeah, and so churches is a band that my wife Sarah and I really like, um, and we we enjoy listening to their music together. Uh, and it recovers about you know a song about relationships and making a choice to stay with the relationship or not. And uh, I also t- I also use it to kind of pep myself up a little bit too because we have we have good election cycles and bad election cycles and we had a rough one uh, for Democrats in Texas in 2014. So <coughs> just got to pick yourself up and keep going. Thank you very much for joining us today. I, I think this will be the first of uh, personally many conversations I'd love to have with both of you. And of we will leave with the musings of the churches singing Recover. Recover.